Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning, and uh, and uh, it's kind of dreary outside, but it is always good to be in the house of the Lord. And I uh, just want to welcome everyone here this morning. Uh, we have a, a few announcements that need to be made this morning. Uh, the first one is that our uh, annual business meeting will be on January 28th, which is not this coming Thursday, but the following Thursday uh, at Oh, we've been having prayer meeting at 6, so I'm not sure if we'll, uh, it'll be either at 6 or 7, but that will be announced. Okay, there we go. Um, and uh, want to uh, thank everyone that was able to help in taking down and cleaning up after the tree. And uh, that was a lovely tree that we had. It was beautiful. And uh, so I just want to thank those that were able to uh, help take that down and all the mess that involves. Um, the nominating committee uh, will be meeting informally this week uh, to uh, confirm those that are coming on or coming off a board. And uh, let's see here. And so uh, let's see. Oh, uh, we need we we would request that uh, that the different boards have their report ready for uh, next Sunday so that it's available before the business meeting. So if you could have your, uh, the different boards, if they could have their uh, reports ready for this coming Sunday, that would be good. And uh, please let, uh, if there's anything that needs to go on the agenda for the meeting, uh, just touch base with the, either Ian or myself and uh, we'll go from there. Uh, the last the last thing I have was that the um, we think that the uh, pump situation uh, uh, has been fixed and uh, there's actually a fuse so uh, but it took quite a bit of figuring to figure that out so uh, time will tell if it's uh, truly fixed but uh, we believe it is so uh, use the bathroom and we'll see what happens <laughs> any other requests this morning yes Donna Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> many, many, many cold Saturday mornings out at Hands Around the Capitol. I remember them well. All right. Any other uh, announcements this morning? Yes, Fred. I, I noticed that. I noticed that. Morning, Steve. How are you? Good, good. It's good to see you. You've been on our heart and our in our prayers. So it's uh, praise the Lord that you're here this morning. Amen. Awesome. All right. Any other uh, anything else this morning before we go to prayer? All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> our dear Lord and heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and. Even though it's kind of dreary outside, we thank you that we can be in your house. We thank you that uh, as we are here, we know that you are here as well and that you hear us and that you are concerned for us and that uh, as we come to prayer, you hear those prayers and answer them. And we're so thankful that we serve a God that is able to answer prayers and that knows us intimately wherever we go and whatever we do. 
So we thank you that we can be here in, in your house this morning. We uh, thank you that uh, Steve is, is here this morning, and we thank you and praise you for his miraculous recovery. And we thank you for all those doctors and nurses that uh, took part in that, uh, in that miracle. We just pray that you would watch over us this morning and watch over our country as we're going through a lot of turmoil and difficulties and, and division. We pray that you would help us as believers to be uh, salt and light wherever we go, and that we would not be divisive. And we may have uh, different political views from somebody else, but overall, Jesus loves us and he loves everybody else as well and so i pray that you would help us not to be divisive but that we would be kind and loving and that people might know that we're christians by the way we live our lives we pray that you'd watch over this whole service pray that your holy spirit would speak through ian this morning as he brings the message in jesus name we pray amen I just got a pair of glasses a few weeks ago that are real glasses, not just reading glasses, and uh, I'm having a hard time adjusting to them. So I have two, I still have two glasses that I use because I just can't quite read out of them. Uh, so we're going to be, uh, if you'd like to turn with me to Psalm 139 and follow along, this is a, a wonderful Psalm uh, and it it really fits into where we are in this country today and that feeling of are we alone um, does God hear um, and can we trust him so Psalm 139 O Lord you have searched me and you know me you know when I sit and when I rise you perceive my thoughts from afar you discern my going out Am I lying down? You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such, one, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. 
when I, when I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adver adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word today. How appropriate. And if you would stand and we will sing number 686, O God our help in ages past. And we'll sing all six verses. Let's stand. 686. Is, could you put that down just a notch? It's a little higher than I'm... Okay. okay. Thank you. All right. Okay, there, you're probably right. <laughs> Wow. 
cross he suffered from the curse to set me free. Sing, oh, sing of my Redeemer, with his blood he purchased me. On the cross he sealed my pardon, paid the debt and made me free. I will tell the wondrous story how my lost a stay to save in his boundless love and mercy he the ransom freely gave sing oh sing of my redeemer with his blood he purchased me on the cross he sealed my pardon, paid the debt and made me free. I will praise my dear Redeemer, his triumphant power I'll tell how the victory death and hell. Sing of, sing of my Redeemer, with his blood he purchased me. On the cross he sealed my pardon, paid the debt and made me free. I will sing of my Redeemer, and his heavenly love for me. From death to life hath brought me, Son of God, with him to be. Sing, oh, sing of my Redeemer, with his blood he purchased me. On the cross he sealed my pardon, paid the debt and made me free. You may be seated. Thank you. And would the ushers come forward for the morning offering, please? the gifts our hands have brought. 
Secretary, please. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to give back some of what you've already given us. When we pray, it will be used in your work to do your will. Mm. And the people should know that Christ is Lord. Mm. So we pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And please remain standing. And uh, if you have your your little uh, um, uh, song sheets, uh, we'll be singing number three. And if you don't, uh, raise your hand. Okay, all right. See, yet not I, but through Christ in me, number three in your little Songs of Liberty book. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing, all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken, for by my side the Savior He will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need His power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released. I can sing. I am free, yet not I, but through Christ.
With every breath, I long to follow Jesus. For he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will renew me. Until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. When the race is complete, Still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Amen. You may be seated. morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. This morning we've got one of those rare occasions when we're, we're pretty much maxed out in terms of pews. It's a wonderful thing to see. We're going to spend some time now to go to the Lord in prayer. I've got one prayer card here that came uh, in the offering. I've got a prayer card here as well that my wife filled out. It's a praise, um, and uh, I don't think we've mentioned anything from the pulpit. It's been public news for a bit, but we had a 20-week uh, anatomy scan a couple, couple weeks ago for our, our baby, and uh, there's no red flags. It's a baby girl, and she's healthy, so I think most of you knew that, but I wanted to make that public. I'll probably keep bragging, so get used to that. <laughs> All right, any, any prayer requests? I want to remember Russ. Yeah, I mentioned Sunday school this morning. Many of you know Harry and Billy Wallback. Well, they both went to be with the Lord last week. Hmm. They founded the Word of Life, the women's founders, and then they actually were Harry's ministry, and then Hank became a believer. And I also played soccer with his son, who was a young believer, not saying that. So just remember Word of Life family and maybe their family. They both came and they came and first, and then four days later, Harry was hmm. Thank you. Millie. Okay. Bill Burke's daughter Kelly has the virus. She's not in the hospital, but but still um, remember her in your prayers. Yeah, Bill's daughter Kelly. Yeah, Brian. Amen. Prayer for our nation. Yeah, particularly this week. Any other prayer requests, thanksgivings, praises? Okay. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're, we've come to you this morning and we've sung songs of praise to you. 
We've made a joyful noise to you because you are the rock of our salvation. We come into your presence this morning with thanksgiving to make a joyful noise to you with songs of praise. And we do it because you, the Lord, are a great God. You're the great king above all other so-called gods. In your hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are yours also. The sea is yours, for you made it, and your hands formed the dry land. That's why we come to you, Father, to worship and to bow down, to kneel before you, the Lord, our maker. For you are our God, and we are the people of your pasture and the sheep of your hand. We're your sheep, your people, and yet we confess, Father, that, that often we go astray like lost sheep. Your commands are clear to love you, our God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we confess, Father, that in word and in deed, in this past week, we've fallen short of that standard. Our hearts and our hands often stray from the rightful love and worship that you deserve. And our love for our neighbors is often half-hearted or mixed with impure motives. So out of the depths we cry to you, O Lord, hear our voices, be attentive to the voice of our pleas for mercy. We'll take a moment now to silently confess our sins unto God. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. With you, Lord, there is steadfast love, and in the name of Jesus we have found plentiful redemption. We ask for forgiveness with confidence, knowing how perfect Christ's work on the cross really is to cleanse us from all iniquities. Through Christ's blood, we ask, Father, that you'd free us from the guilt, shame, and power of our sin. And by your spirit, you would, we ask that you'd lead us to walk in newness of life. We have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And the life we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. We come to you this morning, Father, with a number of... Um, number of concerns, requests, number of thanksgivings as well. We thank you so much for Steve Wadsworth's presence with us, and we thank you for what a mighty work, a miraculous work, really, you've done uh, in his body in the last six months, and we thank you that he's here, that he's back at his home on the ridge, and uh, we just, we praise you, and we give you all the glory. We praise you and thank you, too, for, um, for our, our little baby in the womb still. And we, uh, we praise you, we thank you, Lord, that um, Miranda's feeling those healthy kicks. And, uh, and we pray that uh, uh, you'd continue to shepherd our little girl. Father, we, um, we lift up to you as we, as we continue each week to lift up uh, uh, Andrea Littlefield. I pray that you'd be with her, both in uh, mind and body and in spirit. You'd shepherd her soul. We thank, Lord, of um, uh, all who knew uh, Harry and Millie Ballback, uh, involved with the word of life there, and uh, uh, we pray that uh, you would comfort those who mourn. Pray that you be with Bill's daughter, Kelly, as she fights the virus. Pray that she'd return to full health soon. 
We think, too, Lord, of, of all who are sick in our congregation, especially of Herman Miller. Pray that you continue to sustain him physically. Pray, Lord, that we'd see a reduction of the, the fluid that's building up his legs. Um, we ask, Lord, that you'd sustain him spiritually as well, that uh, um, you'd continue to show him the grace of sustaining his spirit. And he is a, a marvelous witness, Lord, um, to the fact that you, you shepherd your people even through the valley. And uh, we praise you. We thank you for him and for Donna as well. Pray that you'd hold them both in your hand. Particularly on this week, Father, we do ask your blessing on our community, our state, and our nation. We, we're citizens of heaven first, citizens in your kingdom, but um, for the short years of our lifetimes, this community, this state, and this nation will be our home. So we will pray, as you've commanded us, for the good of this little spot of earth that you've put us on. So we, we pray, Lord, for all those who are in high positions over us. We pray your blessing on the Liberty Select Board, on Governor Mills, on the Maine Legislature. We ask your blessing on the members of the United States Senate and the United States House, as well as judges at all levels. We pray as well for uh, President Trump, uh, for President-elect Biden. We lift up as well Vice President Pence and Vice um, President-elect Harris. We ask, Father, in the coming days and weeks that you would give our public servants at all levels the wisdom to rule well, that we would be able to lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We know that's good and pleasing in your sight because you desire all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Your word says, it is an abomination to kings to do evil, for the th their throne is established by righteousness. We ask, Father, that you would keep the hands of our elected leaders from evil and establish their rule in righteousness. Elevate Christians who love your law to serve in many positions of government, that our community, our state, and our nation would be blessed by righteous governance. Lead our nation to repent of the grievous sins which our government has chosen not to restrain. Tear down the abortion industry. And lead our leaders to see abortion for the evil that it is. Lead our nation also to repent of the sexual abominations which are celebrated on every street corner. As a nation, we celebrate the murder of infants and we take pride in the destruction of biblical marriage. Have mercy on us, God. And do not destroy us in your wrath. And we also ask that you'd shepherd and be with us, your congregation. We think, Lord, of all those who mourn, all those who grieve various trials and losses. Lift them up to you. We pray, Lord, that you'd comfort them as you promise in your word. Pray that you'd be with us. Guide us and guard us as your people. You'd speak to us this morning words of peace. We'd be reminded of your presence as we were reminded by Psalm 139 earlier. You hem us in before and behind. There's nowhere we can go from your presence. We thank you, Lord, for the plans you have for us that all our days are in your book. Pray that you'd speak to us this morning by your word. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.
sermon this morning is entitled Bread and Faith. We're going to pick up our study in the Gospel of Mark this morning in Mark chapter 8. We've got a longer passage to work through, so we're going to jump right in. Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 26. And uh, as I try to make a habit of doing, I'll be reading it out of the NIV, and then I'll be preaching out of the ESV, just to keep it confusing. Mark chapter 8, we'll read the first 26 verses. Mark chapter 8, 1 through 26. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, then they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present. And having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed over to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? We'll actually end there at verse 21. Let's pray. Father, we need you. We want to see Jesus. It's a long passage. We come expectantly because we believe that this book is your spirit-inspired word. Father, by human hands, you wrote this book. So we come prayerfully hoping to hear from you. Open up your word to us this morning and give us eyes of faith to truly see. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So our, our account this morning is an account of unbelief. Unbelief in Jesus. And as we move through this passage, 
we're going to see two crucial moments of unbelief. We're going to reckon with those two moments. So as we'll see, at this point in Jesus' ministry, both the Pharisees and the disciples were still in unbelief. That's our, our big idea this morning. Both the Pharisees and the disciples were still in unbelief. But before we can get to that discussion, we need to set the stage. Verses 1 through 9 recount an event that should sound very familiar by now. Um, if, if you've been around for our series through Mark. It was just a couple of chapters ago in Mark chapter 6 when Jesus fed 5,000 Jewish men and their families in the wilderness. Right? If you remember, they were in the wilderness. God provided bread for his people through Jesus. And the account in this passage, the feeding of the, not the 5,000, but the 4,000, is very similar so similar that some scholars have accused Mark of forgetting himself and recording the same event twice. Um, I don't think Mark was that careless. The Gospel of Mark is a carefully constructed book, and Mark deliberately included these two parallel accounts, first, because they happened, and second, to show something really important about Jesus. So if you notice, this is now the third miracle in a row performed in Gentile territory. It's three weeks now uh, we've looked at a miracle in Gentile territory. Remember the the Syrophoenician woman was healed in in Sidon. Um, And then the deaf man was healed in the Decapolis. And verse 1 of chapter 8 gives us no indication that Jesus had gone anywhere. He was still in Gentile territory. Verse 1, in those days when again a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. In those days, immediately after Jesus' healing in the Decapolis, this crowd had gathered. And this would seem to be the same crowd of Gentiles that had seen Jesus' healing power and and run after him, sought him out. So the, the point that Mark seems to be deliberately making through stringing these three accounts together, uh, it's kind of a, a three-point sermon on the inclusion of the Gentiles in Jesus' healing ministry. Right? The, the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark 6 showed that Jesus had come to provide for God's people Israel. The feeding of the 4,000 Gentiles here in Mark chapter 8 shows that Christ had come with healing power and spiritual sustenance for the whole world. That's the point here. It's the same point we've made three weeks in a row now. As I said, a three-point sermon on the inclusion of the Gentiles from Mark. We pick up in verse 1. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples to him and said to them, pause here, listen for Jesus' heart as we read this verse. Verse 2. I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. Isn't Jesus' heart wonderful? Jesus cares about needy people, even non-Jewish, non-religious people, even annoying Gentile crowds that badgered Jesus and his disciples. Jesus' compassionate heart is on full display here. 
Jesus has compassion on needy people. It's a simple truth, but it's true, and it's so important that I'm going to repeat it every time we see it in Scripture. Because as sinners and sufferers, we are so prone to forget that Jesus loves to provide for needy people. He's not afraid of our sin or our suffering or our mourning or our pain. He's not afraid of human needs. He's drawn like a magnet to them. Jesus had compassion on the crowd. But of course, his disciples were skeptical. Verse 4, his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? We'll talk more about the disciples as we move on through this passage. But on the way by, notice that they're acting a little dull. They've literally seen Jesus feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish two chapters ago. Weeks or months before, probably. Like, come on, guys. <laughs> Wake up. Verse 5, and he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. On this occasion, if you're to compare the numbers, they actually had more bread to start with for a smaller crowd. Verse 6, he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. So similar process here to the feeding of the 5,000. No hocus pocus, no lovely assistant or smoke and mirrors, just a simple thanks to heaven and a miraculous meal. Verse 8, they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. On the way by, it's worth noting that when he fed the 4,000 and the 5,000, Jesus was showing that he was a greater prophet than even the most miraculous of the Old Testament prophets. Um, if you ever get a chance, go back to 2 Kings and read about the prophet Elisha. Some really interesting stuff that he does. The, the miracles that he performed by God's power are pretty much unrivaled in the Old Testament. And in 1 Kings chapter 4, you're going to see why this is relevant in just a second. 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 4, during a famine, Elisha was brought uh, 20 loaves of bread and some fresh grain. And he told his servant, some, somewhat like how Jesus told his disciples, he told his servant to give the bread to 100 prophets so that they could eat. I'm going to quote here from 2 Kings 4, starting in verse 43. But his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. Let's think about the numbers here. Elisha set 20 loaves before a hundred men. And there were some left over. Jesus sent seven loaves before the 4,000 people, and there were seven baskets left over. Jesus' power was and is greater than any prophet who ever walked the earth. 
And events like the feeding of the thousands proved it in a way that nothing else could. Now, we could spend more time on the feeding of the 4,000, but we're not going to. We have a lot of ground to cover. And what I want to pay closer attention to is the disciples in relation to this miracle. How the disciples learned, or rather, didn't learn from the feeding of the 4,000. So we'll get there in just a second. I said at the beginning of this sermon that our account is a, a story of unbelief in Jesus. We're going to see two crucial moments of unbelief, and we're coming to the first one now. So both the Pharisees and the disciples were still in unbelief. There's still, both groups were still missing something crucial about who Jesus is. Unbelief takes many shapes, some merely unhelpful, some dangerous. We're going to see that. Look at the Pharisees first. The Pharisees demanded a sign in unbelief. That's our first point. Chapter 10, immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Say that five times fast. It's an uncertain place name. Our best maps aren't 100% certain on where Dalmanutha was. But our best guess is it's right in the center of the west coast of the Sea of Galilee. And you may remember the west coast of the Sea of Galilee was the Jewish coast. Jesus and his disciples, after the three-point sermon in the land of the Gentiles, are now back among the Jews. And that, that becomes clear when some local Jewish Pharisees appear almost immediately. Verse 11, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. So the Pharisees come out with guns blazing. Notice their attitude. They're just immediately argumentative. They had heard enough from Jesus on previous occasions to know that they didn't like him. Unlike the receptive Gentiles across the sea, these Jewish leaders had their minds made up. Jesus was up to no good. And their strategy to take down Jesus was a clever one. They were seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And asking for a sign from heaven, they weren't just saying, do another miracle like, give us more bread. They were asking Jesus to show them his prophetic ID. They wanted Jesus to have God the Father open up the heavens and declare in clouds of glory that Jesus is legit. They wanted a voice from heaven with all the divine fireworks. And the interesting thing about this request is that over the course of his ministry, Jesus had already provided and would go on to provide another sign from heaven. Think about Mark chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Back at Jesus' baptism, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We looked at this last summer. Mark 1, verse 10. And when he had come up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Talk about a sign from heaven. Another sign from heaven was soon to come. We'll see it in chapter 9 at Jesus' transfiguration on the mountain. Mark 9, verse 7. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. 
The fact is, there were plenty of signs to be had from Jesus. His ministry was totally public. The Pharisees had already had plenty of opportunities to see if Jesus was legit. The problem wasn't a lack of signs. They didn't want him to be legit. There on the shore of Galilee, they pretended to have a kind of scientific objection to, the, to Jesus, the Messiah. If, if you would just show us a sign, Jesus, then of, course, then of course we would believe you. But alas, no sign, and we're forced to reject you. The word test here, in most other instances, is translated tempt. This wasn't a scientific test. This was a witch hunt kind of test. The Pharisees weren't in search of the truth. They were interested in bringing Jesus down. They simply couldn't stand this meddling, miracle-working teacher who opposed so much of what they stood for. If you think back to the other people who've met Jesus along the way, the Pharisees are, are so opposite to many people who met Jesus. Think about it. We've seen so many people meet Jesus in faith and receive miraculous help, right? Every single person we've seen who comes to him in faith, no matter who they are, no matter their circumstances, were, and still are, greeted in a warm embrace with healing and power. They come for healing, they get a show. Jesus saves those who come to him in faith. The Pharisees didn't come to him in faith. They'd come with their minds made up. They weren't seeking proof. They weren't even really seeking a sign. They were seeking to shut Jesus down. And Jesus didn't respond to this disingenuous request for a light show from heaven. As I've pondered this passage this week, the part of me that played superhero in the sandbox as a kid, really wishes that Jesus had just responded with a, a light show. Maybe God could have like just sent fire down or something just to prove a point. But Jesus wasn't a kid playing with toys in a sandbox. Jesus was and is the divine son of God, the exalted king of over all kings, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus has existed along with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit outside of time from all eternity, and he will reign forever. Amen. And these Pharisees spitting at the Son of God didn't merit a divine light show or even a smoldering death. They were simply turned down. A simple no was all the answer these men deserved from the incarnate God. Verse 12, he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. The question here is rhetorical. Why does this generation seek a sign? Jesus was drawing attention to their motive. The request wasn't an honest one. It was the latest episode in their Pharisaic witch hunt. 
They didn't want a sign. They wanted an excuse not to listen to Jesus. The Pharisees demanded a sign in unbelief. We've already said, Jesus, Jesus rewards those who come to him in faith. Over and over again, we've seen Jesus bend over backward to provide for the needs of those who come to him honestly. If you're seeking Jesus honestly, he will make himself real to you. Jesus' heart is glowing with red-hot compassion for people who come to him honestly in faith or even seeking faith. But those who come with hostile hearts and minds bent to tear him down, Jesus turns away. The Pharisees didn't believe in Jesus and they didn't want to. So Jesus refused their disingenuous request. Pharisees demanded a sign in unbelief. There's a video going around the internet of, um, of Sarah Silverman, who's a popular comedian and actress. And in this, I just saw a clip. But in this video clip, she, she attempted to reassure her listeners that there is no hell, she says. I'm going to quote her here. Quote, there is no hell, I promise you. If there's a hell, may God strike me dead right now. She pauses a moment and says, see, no God. Sarah Silverman demanded a sign in unbelief. She didn't want a sign. She wasn't honestly seeking the truth. She's looking to undermine the truth of God's word and to downplay God's wrath on sin. She invoked the name of God to mockingly test him and undermine his word. And trying to prove her point, she played like she was demanding a sign from God. And God saw fit not to respond. She and her followers may take God's silence as a sign of his non-existence or of his lack of power. But in fact, sometimes God's silence is a sign of his judgment. Sarah Silverman's words treat a holy God too lightly even to be considered by him. Verse 12 again. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Let's pray that God would be merciful to Ms. Silverman and those like her, that he would open her eyes to the reality of God, to the weight of human sin, to the reality of hell, and the reality of of the salvation available in Jesus. I want to plead with you if you're in that place. If you find yourself with a hardened heart of the Pharisees who demand a sign out of unbelief, seek Jesus honestly. Get on your knees and humble yourself before God. Get off your high horse and and come to him in humility and ask him to meet you there. Ask God to send his spirit into your heart. Plead to meet the real Jesus. God won't honor disingenuous requests for a sign from heaven. His silence is sometimes a sign of condemnation, not his non-existence. If you want to test whether God is really real, 
come to him in humility and give yourself totally over to him. That's the kind of request that God honors. Pharisees demanded a sign in unbelief. That's our first encounter with unbelief in this chapter, but we're not done yet. Pharisees demanded a sign in their hardened unbelief, but we'll see next that the disciples whined. The disciples whined about bread in unbelief. Verse 13. He left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. The disciples forgot to pack lunch. Verse 15, he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. You know what leaven is? Leaven is yeast. Yeast is, a, is an active living organism, I'm told. And it's what causes bread to rise. You bakers know that you don't need a, like a, a ton of yeast in a loaf of bread, just a little bit with the flour and the oil and the salt and whatever else you put in there, and, and you've got bread. And hearing the disciples realize they'd forgotten to bring more bread, Jesus took the opportunity to teach. They'd just left the Pharisees on the other side of the lake, and Jesus needed to hammer home to the disciples how dangerous their teaching and their attitude really was. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Just like yeast, it just takes a little bit of their insidious teaching and they'll get through the whole loaf. Verse 16. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. They missed the point. Can you imagine the scene? They're in the boat arguing about which one of them forgot to pack lunch. And Jesus butts in, but where the leaven of the Pharisees? And then they pause for a second, a little bit confused at what he's trying to get at. And then they went right on arguing. Verse 16, they began, to dis- they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? Do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? The Pharisees suffered from one kind of unbelief, unbelief as a result of their antagonistic hearts towards Jesus. Disciples' hearts weren't antagonistic towards Jesus. They'd left everything to follow Jesus. They were amazed by Jesus. They were his disciples, his chosen apostles. But as this passage makes very clear, there was still something they didn't quite get. The disciples were still in a kind of unbelief. Not the antagonistic unbelief of the Pharisees, but a dull unbelief that hadn't quite put the pieces together yet. They had been with Jesus on multiple occasions when he had miraculously multiplied the loaves, yet they hadn't yet connected 
his power with their needs. They literally had a man who was capable of doing a multiplication problem on food in the boat, but they were still whining about who forgot to pack the bread. And Jesus rebukes them in hard terms. Verse 17, Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Jesus is quoting here from passage we looked at last week in the book of Ezekiel chapter 12 God speaking to Ezekiel was preparing him for a fruitless ministry Ezekiel 12 verse 1 the Lord of the Lord the word of the Lord came to me son of man you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see but see not who have ears to hear but hear not for they are a rebellious house in quoting Ezekiel, Jesus wasn't just joking around about his disciples being a little bit slow on the uptake. He was rebuking them for their spiritual blindness. Guys, are, are you like that rebellious generation? Can you really not see? Do you really not understand who I am? Have you really not put the pieces together yet that as long as I'm with you, you really don't need to worry about bread? The disciples whined about bread, and it, it proved that they hadn't yet learned to trust Jesus with their every need. And I don't want to accuse anyone here of whining, but I think we all have moments where, where we run up against some trouble in our lives and begin to slip into worry or self-pity or maybe even whining, and we wonder how we're going to make it through and we argue about who forgot to pack lunch. And all the while, Jesus is in the boat, r right over there, with the power to do multiplication problems on bread. And I think the question for us this morning is, is there somewhere in your life where you feel that disconnect? If, if you're a Christian, Jesus is in your boat, so to speak. The, the God of the universe, the maker of the heavens, the king of history knows you and loves you personally. It, it's, it's easy to forget that, surprisingly. It's, it's easy to live like he's not in the boat. Or like the disciples, to live like he's in the boat, but to live like he has no power over the circumstances which oppress you. Friends, he is in your boat and he does have power. Maybe you're literally worried about bread. Maybe finances are pinched, the mortgage is coming due, the pink slip seems imminent. And I, I need you to know this morning that if you are a Christian, Jesus has promised to take care of all your physical needs. He hasn't promised to make you rich, no matter what the prosperity teachers say. But let's not let our guardedness against that false theology keep us from Jesus' solid and clear promises. Matthew 6, verse 31 through 33. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Quote from the disciples right there. What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? 
For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and, here's the promise, all these things will be added to you. Christ has promised daily bread, basic provisions to everyone who seeks his kingdom. That's why we're supposed to pray for it, right? Give us this day our daily bread. God hasn't told us to pray that prayer just for us, just for him to say no. He's a good father. He takes care of his kids. So if you're in a tight spot right now, pray to God for provision. He will provide for your needs. Just on the way by, the deacons and I just discussed uh, the deacons fund yesterday. As a church, we, we really want to be able to take care of needs, both in our community as well as in our church body. So if you need help with heating fuel to get through the month or anything else, talk to me, talk to a deacon. We also have a well-stocked food pantry. Diane and Allison made sure of that this past week. Um, if you need literal daily bread for tomorrow, this church is equipped to be Christ's hands and feet in providing that to you. Um, and if you have a friend or a neighbor in need, um, give to them personally as you're able, but also feel free to, to point people to the resources of this church. Dean was just recalling yesterday how, how Steve used to... Uh, used to rebuke him um, if there is a ton of money in the deacon's fund that hadn't been spent. Uh, he's like, that's there to be used. So it's there to be used. Leave that there. Our ability to doubt like disciples isn't limited to physical bread, of course. In so many areas of our lives, we can stumble into viewing our problems as being disconnected from the power of Jesus. Are you grieving? Don't forget that Jesus who wept for Lazarus is in your boat. And he has promised, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Press into Jesus. He's in the boat with you even though he may feel far away at times. Even though your boat may feel like it's drifting away, battered by waves of grief, Jesus is there with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Press in. Are you sick? Don't forget that the great physician is in your boat. Keep praying boldly, knowing that even in this life, he can heal miraculously. And then if he says no, or not yet, or not until the resurrection, you know it's still true? He's still in your boat. And his no is not because he's weak or weary or tired of helping you. He loves you more than you love yourself. Keep the faith, brothers. Keep the faith, sisters. He's still in your boat. Are you looking for direction? Don't forget that the author of history is in your boat. He knows where you've been, every step, even the places you regret, and better yet, he knows the way forward. Press into prayer. Press into his word. Seek his guidance. He makes his will clear to his people. Are you facing opposition to your faith among your friends or your family or at work? 
don't forget. The one who was crucified at the hands of wicked men is in your boat. And he's promised, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Are you struggling with sin? Don't forget, the one who defeated sin on the cross is in your boat, and he has promised, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Are you emotionally exhausted and worn by this, this life? Do you feel like you're driving on fumes? Don't forget, Jesus is in your boat, and he has promised, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed. The blessed sign on your wall. Blessed is, are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We could go on like this forever. You, can't, you simply can't name a circumstance in your life where Christ isn't present with you. Christian, you have never faced anything alone. Even before you knew Jesus, Christ and his angels have had your number. Jesus has been in your boat even before you were conceived. Ephesians 1 verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. There is nothing you have faced, are facing, or ever will face which you will ever face alone. Don't commit the error of the disciples. In little things like forgetting to pack lunch or in the great battles of life, Jesus is in the boat and he's still relevant. The disciples whined about bread in unbelief. Where in our lives are we, are we whining right now where we should be bringing it all to the feet of Jesus? Where are we whining where we should be worshiping? It may be you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. And, uh, and you have no assurance that Jesus is in your boat. I, I said it last week, I'll say it again this week. I simply don't know what I would do with all the troubles of this life if I wasn't a Christian. There is nothing more grounding than knowing that God is with you for you and friends without trusting Christ we you simply cannot have assurance that God is with you apart from Christ God is not with you apart from trusting Christ we're all enemies of God that's what we are as humans since Adam and Eve in the garden we've spent our whole lives running from God thumbing our nose at his law ignoring his will for our lives. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've, we've all, all of us earned his just condemnation, certain death and eternal punishment. Hell is real and it's no kindness to pretend otherwise. The wrath of God on sin is real, but friends, Christ's compassion on sinners is greater. In Christ, we can actually escape the wrath we deserve. And not only escape the death that we deserve, we can be reconciled to a holy God, return to a right relationship with Him. 
And that reconciliation is nothing that we can earn or buy. It's all of grace. And it's all available to anyone who will come in Christ. The sinless Christ died the death we deserve. He took our place. All who come to him in faith can be forgiven. By faith in him, his death becomes ours, and so does his resurrection. We actually can come alive in him, really living for the first time like we were meant to in the beginning, in loving relationship with the God who made us. The Bible says that those who believe in Christ are actually adopted. We're part of, part of God's family now. And that truth is a sure and steady anchor in the storms of life. No matter what may come, we know that Jesus is in the boat. God is with us. He loves us. And his power is available to us. Like the disciples in the boat, the resolution to their problem of the forgotten lunch bag was within arm's reach. Close enough to touch. Reach out to Jesus. Don't reject him like the Pharisees. Don't doubt him like the disciples. Trust him in simple faith. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, as, as you had mercy on the disciples and led them along, even when they were slow and dull, that you would lead us along, even when we're slow and dull. That you'd teach us day by day to have faith in you. We thank you that you don't cast us out for our doubts. We come to you honestly, you, you call us in deeper. We thank you, Father, for the assurance that we have that Christ is in the boat, that you are with us in all the storms of life. We pray, Lord, for all those here who are in the midst of the storm, that you would make your presence palpably clear to them this week. And pray, too, Lord, for any, any here who might not know Christ, that you might prick their hearts by your Spirit and lead them to faith in you. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. appropriate for our last song to be uh, 581 tis so sweet to trust in jesus amen let's stand and sing the first and the last verses of 581 tis so sweet to trust in jesus just to take him out to rest upon his promise just to know thus saith the Lord Jesus Jesus how I trust him how I've proved him more and more Jesus Jesus precious Jesus oh for grace
face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. 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 Amen.